You're listening to the Behind the Tee podcast hosted by your favorite club curlers, Rob and Kelly. The show where we share our thoughts on what's happening in the curling world with the internet. But let's be real, we end up talking about football half the time anyways. Welcome back to the Behind the Tee podcast with Rob and Kelly. How's it going, Rob? It's going good, Kelly, but um, I have to cut you off because uh, I have a press release here that I think we both need to read here. Go for it. Okay, so uh, for immediate release, after many different arguments about curling fashion, bad commercials, and random references to Randy Furby, the Behind the Tea podcast is announcing that Rob and Kelly will go their separate ways at the conclusion of this podcast. This has been so much fun, said Rob. Nobody used to care about my long-winded curling thoughts, but thanks to this podcast, I've been able to share my pointless opinions with the world. Now, even more people don't care. The podcast would like to thank our many listeners and sponsors, which are too, me- too numerous to list. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, and would like to wish each other the best for the future and would like to emphasize that our parting of ways is not because of personal reasons. Kelly was not available for comment, but she'll make herself available to the media right now. <laughs> you forgot to say that we had an adult conversation about Oh, this. we had. Yes, we had a, a beautiful adult conversation. <laughs> that was one of the... So fun fact, uh, I... Okay, let's clear this up first. We are not breaking up. Uh, We are going to go on a hiatus after this episode. We'll get into that later. But no, we're not breaking up. We just, I copy pasted that exact text from numerous other announcements of team breakups. And I just, I cut out, I put in obviously the Randy Furby and fashion parts about us, but all the rest of the language, I did not write. Yeah, I feel like they Googled um, team breakup announcement and then they all just copy pasted the same. There's a template on Word, curling team (laughs) breakup when you open it. Yeah, so last week we talked about all the team shakeups that happened uh, literally the day after the end of the Briar, but we still had a couple question marks. um, And since then, there have been a couple more uh, team changes or an, other announcements. So to start off, we had said that uh, Laura Walker's team has uh, parted ways, as well as Team Dunstone. Um, and then Laura uh, Walker and... Kirk Myers. Kirk Myers have officially decided to just focus on mixed doubles next year, which I think they're like the one of the first, uh, I, I call them elite curlers, that have like officially made the switch from team game to mixed doubles, which is nice to see. Yeah, I read that today about Lisa Weagle as well. The only thing is that I don't have I don't put a lot of stock in that to be honest with you because uh I've heard that before and like John remember John when Morris. John Morris said he was going to dedicate himself exclusively to mixed doubles and then we saw him a couple weeks ago at the Briar. So I feel like you will see all of these curlers again at the Briar and Scotties, but good for them because mixed doubles needs to be taken a little bit more seriously, I think by pro teams actually i wish they would go away and just leave it up to the uh the riffraff like us but um if we want to actually win a medal it can't just be that thing that rachel homan and john morris play in when they've been eliminated from what they're prioritizing so good for them for making it um something a little bit more predominant i wonder too if there's a little bit of I can't manage to get a good four-man team, so I'll just focus on doubles. That is so part of it. (laughs) (laughs) I have zero evidence for what I just said, but I totally believe you. Yeah, we know it's true. I totally believe you. I think if they had like a big team they were excited to form, it would have come out by now. So I think we will still see them in traditional curling, but whereas they can't keep up with the, uh, the arms race of new team formation, I think this is a good thing to declare for now. Yeah. And in other news, Homan's team has uh, adopted Tracy Fleury to join their team. They haven't made an, an, a 
official announcement of like what the lineup will be, but we do know that Emma's going to go down to the front end. Yeah, Emma's going to go down to the front end and with Sarah Wilkes, and then Flurry and Homan are going to play the back end. Obviously, that's no surprise. I would be flabbergasted if Flurry um, was going to join us like their new second. Tracy Flurry is the new lead. Yeah, the new lead. No, no, no. She's a, a skip back end player. Same with Homan. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they decide to, you know, line things up. Yeah, we were talking about this during our ladder game last night, and I think what we were saying was that we've seen Rachel sweep because of her mixed doubles career, but we've never seen Tracy sweep. So based on that, I don't know who will throw last, but I think Tracy will be the one in the house. Also, too, because Holman has skipped her entire life. Like, she skipped through junior, she skipped the same team going into women's. So it'll be interesting to see how she... If she does end up playing third, how that dynamic is going to go. Because, you know, sometimes it's hard for lifelong skips to kind of give up the reins a little bit. And you kind of want to always have that control or you might have that tendency to not necessarily question, but always give your input. And we know from experience that that's not good for the (laughs) skip. Maybe they may be the, the female version of the team Kui this year. It's very interesting. And this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. By a long time, I mean like the last 30 seconds since you brought this up. But no, so this just occurred to me. Think of how long Rachel has been skipped with Emma as third. Yeah. This is the biggest change. Uh, in, it's a one-person change in the roster. Yet this is the biggest change, I'm going to argue, in Rachel Homan's career. She is changing positions. She's breaking up. Well, Emma's still part of the team. But Emma moving down to second. This is going to be a totally, totally different lineup. Yeah. And um. I actually kind of like that. I think this is a team that could benefit from not completely parting ways, but just finding a way to restart things and maybe see things from a new perspective. So I think it's a healthy thing that they're doing, especially whereas the Olympics are so far away. Why not? Like, even if they have a bad season, I think there's a lot they can learn about each other. So I'm kind of interested to see how this team goes. It may not be smooth sailing right off the bat, but I think if they see it through, I see a lot of potential. Yeah, you have a good point. Like this is this upcoming year is definitely going to be a year of experimentation and teams trying to find their groove, uh, maybe mix some lineups a little bit, maybe swap a player or two. But yeah, next year is going to be interesting to see who's going to end up being like the top. And let me tell you, whoever's at the top of next year does not guarantee they'll be at the top in four years at the next. Oh, no, they'll be broken up by 2026. Oh, yeah. Listen for that on new team who dis part 78 or whatever (laughs) it'll be by then. That's it. I don't think there are any other like notable team changes. I don't think so. Although I don't remember when we last we're, we're we're recording this on a Wednesday night. That's really rare for us. So if we sound tired, that's why. Um, but I think I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but Glenn Howard is coming back. He made that official. We did. We did. We did mention that. Okay. Yeah, and we were very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I love Glenn, but I mean. You know, we've said it before. I think it's time to move on. He looked miserable at the Briar, and we've said enough about that. And the, the other boys on the team should, should grow up over. and get, get their own team, yeah. Um, so that being said, uh, a team that is staying together, though, is Team Einerson, who have just competed at the Women's Worlds. There's a team that's not accomplished anything in the last three years, just <laughs> <No>. saying. <laughs> uh, but they did come home with a bronze medal this time, um, and it's really nice for them, um, you know, they've won the Scotties what three times in a row and this is the first time they actually get to play as Team Canada in Canada in front of a crowd so yeah uh, they got robbed of that uh, the first time they won because 
you know, the start of the pandemic. Second time they got to play in the bubble, which was an interesting experience. And now they kind of got the full experience, if you will, of a world's tournament. And they did about as well as anybody could hope for, right? Because a point that's going to be a common theme today is you got to give the gold automatically to Switzerland. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So to get a medal when basically the gold is not even possible. Well, Switzerland rebounded because Switzerland did not perform well at the Olympics. Not at the Olympics, but the World Championship seems to be their claim to fame. Um, No team has dominated women's curling like Switzerland has in the last 10 years. So they won their third gold medal in a row. But correct me if I'm wrong, but they also went undefeated throughout the whole championship. They did. Um, So we're not very good at our job here because neither of us watched very much of this all week. But Okay, um, not because we weren't interested, okay? There's no, other just, there was life got in the way, but um, but Switzerland End rolled through the round robin. Yeah, oh yeah, another BC tournament. I mean, it, it's we have to stay up so late, and I just learned last night that Las Vegas is part of the same time zone, so I'm gonna be up really late watching the men's, or I just won't be able to. But anyways, yeah. So um, Switzerland rolled through the round robin. Very few teams came close to beat. They just they beat everybody pretty soundly i guess some teams played them close i remember the german team played them very close later on in the round robin but i think at that point like alina pate sat out sylvana tiranzoni sat out like they they rolled their lineup they sat out the skip they sat out the third and then they like brought in the alternate then they brought sylvana back in they played musical chairs and they didn't win that game by a lot but they still won i don't think i've ever seen a team dominate to this extent and I think they proved they are the class of women's curling. Oh, yeah. Alina Petz is kind of like the Shannon Burchard of, of, international, of curling. international curling. That girl just wins everything. She's that so is talented. very well said. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever beaten her at a Worlds, just like how no one's ever beaten Shannon Burchard at a Scotty's. So. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was happy to see them win. I only, uh, I also, life got in the way, so I didn't have a chance to watch the final. Actually, I caught the skip rocks in the... 10th end and I watched a little bit too of the women's bronze medal game it was all right there's nothing like fantastic to report about it It it's pretty mediocre no I didn't see much of uh that final day I did see a bit more of the final um I can tell you what's interesting because they beat the uh, South Korean team in the final and that Korean team I thought it was going to be over very quickly if I remember I think they blanked the first they gave up three in the second and I may have this wrong, but in the third end, the Korean team was drawing against six. Whoa. It was something like that. It was five or six. So it was about to be, if she, I mean, it wasn't a particularly hard draw, but there's no such thing as an easy draw when you're facing five or six, right? So she made it, but let's just say that rock picks. The game is over in the third end. And so she kept with it. And then she played the whole take two, give them one thing perfectly and actually managed to come home. I think it was tied or it was very close in the 10th end anyway. So full credit to the Korean team for battling back because when you've got a team that's what, 13-0 and 0 and they uh, you're down 3 nothing and drawing against 6, I think it's very, very easy for a lot of teams to pack it in. And uh, they didn't. They fought right to the end and they looked really happy, we were saying. I think the South Korean team, actually, congratulations for them to even get a medal like this is a team uh like we don't often see the asian countries you know make it that far in the championship but 
I did watch, uh, yeah, those last rocks and the medal ceremony and everything. And I think they're the happiest team to have ever won a silver medal. I like it. But I also think it could be a little bit of a cultural thing. But yeah, they, you know, as they do the inaugural, like walking down the ice to like go to the podium. I love this. Yes. And they stopped at the hog line and then they do this very like um, origami style with human star shaped thing. It's really hard to explain, but if you saw it, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, I don't know how to explain it. And I was like, of course, of all the teams to do that, it will be them. Oh, but I loved it. I, I think our sport lacks personality. Like we've not seen anything ex- or interesting personality wise, I would say, since the days of Thomas Ellsrud and his uh, really interesting pants. And so it reminded me of that. It was nice to see a team that has just suffered this heartbreaking loss um, to not take things too seriously and to just... Uh, look so happy good for them like we should all be so happy after coming second it's really not that fun (laughs) it's not that fun no yeah i think we were saying at the club the other day that usually the bronze medalist is a lot happier than the the silver medalist absolutely my one of my like the funny thing is like we're i mean we're not diehards but we live in montreal we're canadians fans last year we came second we lost the stanley cup final this year we were in last place it's funny. It's much easier on your on your blood pressure to come last place than it is to come second. Yep, yep. Much better for our bar tabs too. <laughs> that too, very much. But uh, so Canada won the bronze uh, and they beat Sweden to get it. And this is a team also that's been very dominant in women's curling for the past, I don't know, how long has Hasselberg been around? A good like 10 years or so? As long as I can remember since, um, I think Maria Pritz was the last Swedish team in 2014. I believe it's been Hasselberg ever since. Ever since, yeah. And she, I think you brought this stat up last year when we were talking about this, but she had never, she's still never won a women's world championship, which I find surprising. I know. I mean, I it, it speaks to Switzerland's dominance, but yeah, I associate Hasselberg with um, curling international curling greatness. But well, she dominates no in the slams and like other events, but just has never won that world title. That worlds is the uh, the Achilles heel. I think this is a team too that's going to stick around next year. Basically, they're professional curlers. Sweden has hired them to curl. So up until Sweden decides, like, okay, we're bring that new generation team is gonna be the next team. We'll keep seeing them. So hopefully, before she retires, she gets yeah. it. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there, Kels, because we were talking about um, how all the team breakups we've been profiling are Canadian, and I guess maybe we are a little bit biased, but you don't hear about it as much on the international stage because it's much easier to keep your team together when your government is paying for you to play together. I'm sure that uh, if the Canadian government were writing checks to Kevin Cooey and Brendan Botcher, they would have <laughs> kept Darren Molding on and so forth. Well, also Canada has the luxury of having a lot of curlers, so which the other teams don't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another team I want to shout out, though, at at the Women's Worlds is Team Turkey. This is like their first time uh, appearing at the Worlds, and they did leave with a 2-10 record. (laughs) It's it's not a great record. They finished at the bottom. But I did watch their game against Canada, and I did see them play a little bit throughout the week. And they held their own. Like, for a team that's, like, recently just gotten out of the European Bs and, you know, to be at the Women's Worlds for the first time, uh, they held their own. Like, they still made Canada and, like, the other teams work for for their win. Hopefully, we'll be seeing them a little more often. And I do have to say they have, like, the best jackets. 
Yeah, you stole my line. That's what I was going to say. I love their jackets. Yeah. It was really nice to see, to be honest with you. Um, I always like seeing new teams pop up, and uh, especially if it's for the first time. And I think the crowd really embraced them mm-hmm. and rallied behind them. And when they won their one game, because I know they have two wins, but well, one of them was by default. We'll get into that later. But uh, when they beat the Czech Republic and got their first real win, the crowd went crazy for them. And uh, I think they really enjoyed the moment. And it was nice to see. Also, can we just talk about the skip? Like, she is the most interesting release I've ever seen. I don't know if you saw it. She's so technically sound, but she does what I'm going to call a double Shannon Burchard. She cranks her rock back and then forward and then back and then forward. And I, she might even do it another time and then lets it go. Oh my God, who taught her? I don't know. It's like Shannon Burchard, but doing it twice or three times. And the amount of rotation they throw. I remember Russ Howard made the comment. He watched them throw a draw and he said, so there were nine rotations on that rock? <laughs> Jeez, is ice like super bendy in Turkey or something? I get, I don't know. It was really unusual. But um, hey, I mean, it worked. They played well. And for our curly newbies that are listening, nine rotations is a lot. The standard you try to go for is like three to three and a half. That's a good. That's how I was taught. Although like then I started. I You <laughs> I throw really some no spinners. <laughs> That's to make up for the fact that I dump every rock, or especially every intern. But I was going to say like to show the how much or how little of a life I have. Once Russ made that comment, I counted how many the next person threw. And a lot of teams are throwing more than three and a half these days. Like the other teams are throwing five or six rotations as well. Okay. So boy, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. This is riveting content. (laughs) (laughs) You brought up the point that the crowd really fell in love with Turkey, but another uh, team that they fell in love with was Denmark. For some reason, Canada loves Denmark. I love Denmark. I've been there. It's beautiful. <laughs> Russ and Kathy were talking about it, uh, how like, you know, they just, they have a lot of fan support here and they didn't make it pretty far. And Denmark's just that team that like, for some reason they suck and then they're really good. <laughs> yeah. They're very hot and cold. Yeah. They're like suck at the Europeans. They'll drop down to the B, then they'll make it back up to the A and then they are playing for the playoffs at the Worlds. You never know what them, what you're going to you get. You never know what you're going to get. It's, uh, I kind of like it. And they never come, like, they don't really play the slams. They don't, like, they kind of stick in their area. And I do know that Denmark doesn't necessarily have, like, the biggest budget or funding when it comes to, like, supporting their team. So maybe that's why. I suppose, yeah. They were, like, the dancing queens before the games and all that. <laughs> yeah, so they won over the crowd. They did. Yeah, they were a fun team to watch. And I mean, there were a lot of fun teams to watch. And that's one of the things I don't enjoy about the Worlds, to be honest with you, is I think I would enjoy it more than the Briar in Tournament of Hearts, uh, in that it has an international flavor to it. There's two problems. One is that by late March, early April, I'm kind of done with curling. I know you are too. Yeah. <laughs> um, But the other thing is that because we're watching it on TSN, and I'm not being critical of TSN here, I get what they have to do, but we only see the Canadian games. Imagine if they could, just totally hypothetically here, imagine if they could approach it with the feature game style of like, we're going to pick this matchup because this is the best one right now. We're going to pick this matchup, even though it doesn't involve Canada because these two teams are fighting for a playoff spot. I think we'd enjoy it way more if we got to learn the other teams and not just look at it through the Canadian lens. I know that that's just my opinion. I 
kind of agree, but not necessarily for that reason. I work a day job and the only time I have to watch curling during the week is in the evening. That's what kind of sucks with the world because TSN is only featuring the Canadian games. Canada is not playing on that evening draw. There's no curling. That's true. Although even when they were, that evening draw was at 10.30. I was asleep by the third end. Yeah, or even like the 5 p.m. draw, right? I could watch, but uh, sometimes they do broadcast it on YouTube, so you could watch it there. But a couple things. Uh, so complicated because I have to open my laptop, then connect it to the TV and all that stuff. And I'm sorry, but the commentators too aren't the greatest. It's kind of boring. I have to say, well, first of all, that was a very good first world problem of uh, having <laughs> yeah. to connect your, your laptop to the TV. Uh, but I agree with you. Um, Kelly made, I'm going to say, a very controversial statement a few weeks ago about how maybe it's time for Vic Router to, um, and Glenn and Jennifer to walk into the sunset. But if I watch curling on YouTube, it makes me long for Vic. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes me fall asleep. Unfortunately, like we're always fighting that stereotype, right? Of curling being super boring. And yeah. that does not help with the stereotype. It does not. You know what we need? We need the guy who was the color commentator in that Men's with Brooms movie to come on and do color for curling <laughs> in real life. Oh, right. The guy that kept drinking more and more as the game went on. Exactly. Exactly. I like that. Or, random segue here, but we wanted to squeeze this in, or uh, I didn't really like the guy comment, I don't know, or I shouldn't say I didn't like the guy, I didn't like the commentary, but this guy who, I don't know his name, but was going crazy when Canada qualified for the World Cup, totally different sport, but we have to get that in there. Yes, yes. So Canada qualified for the World Cup, <laughs> the soccer World Cup. Yes, we're not actually talking about curling here. The World Cup. The last time they made it was before either of us were born. So, uh, very exciting moment. Fun fact, Vic Router was calling games when they, uh, when they no made way. it to the previous World Cup, I, I believe. It's so funny. So, like, I don't understand how teams qualify for the World Cup. It's a really complex system. Yeah, and I've never bothered to pay attention to it just because I figured it was such a long shot. Like, okay, you know how last week we were talking about doing how like all these team changes have us like writing it on a cork board and like all the lines are connecting. Yes. That's kind of, it's 10 <laughs> times worse for the World Cup because there's so many ways of entering and then there's points and it's separated by area, geographical area. Anyways, I don't keep up. I just look at who qualified in the groups and that's when I start paying attention. But I did know that Canada was like a couple games away of qualifying. I went out for dinner at a bar on Sunday and we get there and like it's a two floor place. All of a sudden I hear like banging and chanting upstairs and I was like, what is going on? It's a Sunday night, right? Or like Sunday late yeah. afternoon. Pretty excited for uh, for uh, Switzerland taking three in the first night. <laughs> exactly. And then I turned to the TV and we had gone there right when the game ended, essentially. And Canada beat Jamaica for nothing. And I was like, you go, Canada. And then I had to Google it. And again, I had to like click a lot of links to figure out if they actually qualified or not. It was not clear. But Canada did uh, solidify their spot in the, in the World Cup. Now, all I hope is that they don't end up in the same group as Germany. Because otherwise, I'll have a huge conflict of interest. Oh, no, you won't. <laughs> yes. No, you won't. I'm, I'm going to work on this, people. But um, actually, no, I, I get what you're saying, because I've always asked the question, again, totally hypothetically, uh, to my co-workers, friends who I know are big fans of Italy. <laughs> I tried to say it with a straight face and I couldn't. 
I always would ask them like, hey, you know, I know you're a big Italy fan, but what if Canada ever made the World Cup? And they would immediately dismiss my question as like, oh, no, that'll never happen. I know it'll never. But let's just say they did. Who would you cheer for? Italy or because you live in Canada and they would just answer, oh, Italy right off the bat. Canada would never contend. And that part may be true. However, at least we can boast we're going to finish ahead of Italy. (laughs) Yeah. That's what happens when you lose to North Macedonia. Oh, that powerhouse country. In North America, we do get into we do get into the World Cup in Canada and in the U.S. as well. Like we're all uh, of some sort of descent, <laughs> so people just have a tendency to like cheer for whatever heritage they're from, right? Uh, in Montreal, we have a lot of Italians, hence uh, Rob's story here. But yeah, a lot of people like to cheer for England. That's another popular one, a popular country. France, a lot of French people will cheer for that. But uh, we had never had our own country to cheer for. So we just adopted other countries. And now it's true. Oh, and one of our listeners I happen to know is also a huge German fan. So I'm going to have to ask him now, too, because that's a, a bit of a dilemma. So I, I, I aim to convince you both uh, to adopt Canada for this, because my understanding, which is not very strong, is that when Canada made it to the last World Cup, Mexico was hosting it. So they were already in Canada didn't have to worry about Mexico. There was something else going on. Um, the door was open. To make a curling uh, reference, it's kind of like how the door was a little bit more open this year for Krista McCarvel or for Andrea Crawford at the Scotties. Whereas this time, this was Canada earning it completely. Like to finish first, in, which is not a done deal yet, but they could finish first in a group with Mexico and the United States. It's um, I still don't think they'll fare particularly well at the World Cup, but they, they should score a goal this time, I would like to say. <laughs> love that <laughs> the bar was set really low in 1986 so like that's why i think a lot of canadians will like cheer for them just because oh my god we can cheer for canada but not a lot of people are expecting them to make it out of the group round and i think if they do things are gonna get crazy oh yeah we'll channel our inner north macedonia and you never know the one thing i guess uh just to be very analytical here is that i think canada had a pretty big advantage because i remember watching a qualifying game a few months ago and they were playing against mexico in edmonton outdoors in january at night it was minus 20 something and all these players are running around in shorts and now they're gonna have to go play in qatar where i think even in winter time it's 40 degrees or something so that advantage we once had is gonna be long gone yeah, but we'll see. So yeah, it's going to be weird too to watch the World Cup in the middle of winter and not in summer when it usually is played. It'll be fun. Uh, we'll have a lot of interesting things to say on next season's podcast because we'll be doing curling slash soccer at the same time. Exactly. Speaking of curling meets soccer, I just have to get this in there that um, uh, we reached out to our Italian fan base after they were eliminated and tried to console them by reminding them that it sucks that you didn't make the World Cup, but at least you can still boast you've you've got the gold medal in Olympic mixed doubles curling. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's worth the same. It's worth the same. It's worth more. Um, to to wrap this up uh, with the women's worlds, I think that TSN heard our message loud and clear, and we got Vix Montage back. <laughs> We did. It was so nice to have that back. I have to say, like, we were texting each other during it. It wasn't the greatest montage. Uh, there were a lot of storylines that I think they should have explored. Uh, we sound more like film critics now than we do curlers. But um, but I was just happy because I really felt like, I don't know, maybe there was an explanation behind what happened. There with- must have been. It makes no sense. 
and maybe COVID was something, maybe something got in the way. But to me, like what I choose to believe anyway, is that some executive made the decision of, eh, no one's going to like, no one likes this stuff. And when you sent me a video of somebody made their own TSN montage, and when somebody went to that length and posted it on Curling Zone or Reddit or whatever it was, it really made me think like, yeah, it's not just you and me. There is demand for Vic's montage. And they did a good job. Like they really got their phrasing down right. And it was very poetic and it was good. Yeah. So hopefully they'll keep this up. And it should be a good one because um, the men's world is in sunny Las Vegas. Probably one of the best places to play. <laughs> <laughs> there should be some interesting things to say there. I have to say, uh, like one thing that I think I would have mentioned in the montage, because I, I don't want to, I hate to talk about this, but we kind of have to, even though we didn't watch much this week, I think the hardest part of this week was what happened with Team Scotland. Yes. Oh, so unfortunate. Yeah, like it happened to Team Japan as well. They couldn't finish the week, but I think it only cost them one game and they were close to the playoffs. But for the Scottish team to only play two games and then have to go home because if you miss this they uh i think two players tested positive originally and then another two tested positive there was just no way for them to continue and what makes this really really difficult is that scotland sends eve muirhead every single year this year because she just won olympic gold a couple of weeks ago they send another team and eve muirhead wasn't pleased about that she wanted to be there so this poor secondary Scottish team, it's their one chance to compete internationally and they all get COVID. It was really, really sad. It's so unfortunate. I would be, if I were on the Scottish team right now, I would have been heartbroken. I found this harder than what happened to Einerson and Prince George two years ago. I mean, it's easy to say that in hindsight because she ended up winning two more Canadian titles, but... I, I've never seen anything quite so devastating. Your chance to play at the World Championships, they don't come very often. And it's one of the biggest tournaments. After the Olympics, it's the biggest title to win. And I mean, I'm sure Scotland wasn't going in expecting to get a gold medal, but still, it's such a great experience. And they just had that taken away from them. So I really, um, I really feel for them in this case. Yeah, it, it was hard. And um, they weren't the only team that this happened to. Um, there was also, I not that I followed this at all, but Vic was giving updates of this every now and then. And it, there was the Canadian, or I think it was the world, sorry, the world deaf curling championships that were occurring. And Canada had made its way into the gold medal game. Um, Marianne Arsenault uh, was coaching the Canadian team. And I believe her niece was skipping the team. I believe okay. it's some relative of her who once played at a Scotties with her in New, uh, out of Nova Scotia a couple of years back, if I remember correctly anyway. So they were in the gold medal game of the World Deaf Curling Championships, and they all tested positive. So they had to default the gold medal. So that sucks too. It was really unfortunate. I think the only silver lining in that is that the team that ended up winning gold by default was Ukraine. I didn't even know there was any curling in Ukraine. Okay. And, I mean, good for them. I mean, uh, anything pro-Ukraine these days is nice. <laughs> I mean, if any country deserves some kind of title, I believe it's them. So uh, happy for that, but not to occur like that. And it's just, yeah. it was really depressing, I found, because not to get too philosophical here, but I mean, we've lived with this damn pandemic for two years. And it's just, just when you think you're entering a comfort zone of things getting better and we slowly drift back to normal, this goddamn virus keeps rearing its ugly head and messing up plans. And really, I think that's, it, it's hard. It's been two years like this, but I still find it very difficult to deal with, especially when it happens to people that we know, yeah. or not that we know the Scottish or Canadian deaf team, but. To see these opportunities taken away from them yeah. uh, makes it pretty hard. It's unfortunate. Hopefully, you know, next year 
situation is yeah. going to be different. Could have said that much shorter. It would have been good in a montage, but yeah, I'm sure there's a way to uh, make it a little more condensed, <laughs> and concise. Um, but yeah, we'll see if uh, any teams have any bad, the same bad luck at the men's worlds. Also, this is in Vegas. The population is a lot higher than in Prince George, British Columbia. So I guess to jump into that, do you want to just run through like the teams that will be playing? Because there are a lot of new names. Yeah, let's do it. While Kelly loads this up, just a quick thing here uh, to wrap up the women's worlds. One thing that I was really disappointed in is that office pools did not offer um, a pool for the women's worlds. We were not able to make our usually bad predictions. I was pretty disappointed. Can I rant about the world curling website? They have the teams, but they don't have the people on the teams listed. Every curling website sucks. Okay, I got it. I got it. Wikipedia never lets us down. <laughs> okay, so obviously Team Canada, we know who's going to be there. Gushu Nichols, Gallant Walker, they're like... EJ Harden. And EJ Harden as the alternate. Uh, then we have the Czech Republic, with some people whose name I'm going to butcher. Is it Yuri Snitil? No, it's skipped by oh. Klima, uh, Klima, Lucas Klima, Marek Chernovsky, Radek Bohach. That's a letter I've never seen before. Um, <laughs> Yuri Kandra... Uh, so then moving on to Denmark, the team skipped by Mikael Kraus, Mads Njorgaard, Henrik Holterman, and Kasper Wixton. And we've seen them around before as well, um, a couple times when Denmark decides to perform. When- <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love you, Denmark. Don't hate us. Uh, and then Finland, we have a team also that we've seen before. Kale Kingskinen, Tim Musalo, Leo Uni, and Pavo Krosmanen. Actually, quickly about, the, I don't know if we have seen them, but we've seen Finnish curling teams before. Um, Timu Salo, I recognize. I think he played back with Marku Yusi Pavel Nemi. Oh. I think So I think he's a throwback, but I don't remember the rest of them. Um, do you remember there was a Finnish team a few years ago? One of them had dreadlocks. Yes. Yeah, they look like a hard rock, like a hard metal rock band. I know. I met a couple of them too. They're really cool. They were really nice guys. Um, I don't know if they're on this team. I don't remember their names. No, I haven't seen them around for a while. But yeah, but... Timu Salo, I just clicked on his name, did play with Marku Yusu Pavel Nemi. So he's a throwback. Fun fact, uh, Leo Uni and Kale Miskinen uh, were actually, uh, we were at the Fusen Junior Curling Camp way back when, I won't name the year, um, but we were <laughs> in the same group and we were at that that uh, World Junior Curling Camp. No way. I haven't spoken to him since then. You should really. make him a friend of the podcast. I will. Maybe I'll be like, hey, listen this to us. This is a country we have, or a region of the world we have not yet offended. So That's true. That's true. Hey, and speaking of Fusen, which team is next? Team Germany from Fusen, one of the only curling clubs in Germany. Uh, no, but they, Fusen has a really big curling center center there. But skipped by Sixten Tutsik, Mark Musk- Muskadowitz, Joshua Sutter, and Dominic Grindel. I haven't heard of this team. I still think of Andy Cap with Germany. <laughs> I think of Andrea Schell. But I think they're a young team, though, right? Germany, last couple of times, they had um, a relatively young team. Oh boy, yes, because I'm I'm on Wikipedia too, and some of these names are clickable. And when I clicked on the German skip, I just saw that he was born in the year 2000. <laughs> Kelly's got this look on her face that's <laughs> babies or babies. <laughs> this is where I wish this was a more visual medium. That look was priceless. I feel I can't compute when people were born after the year 2000. Like I just can't compute. I know. That. I know. Here they are at a world's. Yeah. 
then we have Team Italy, a team that we know very well. Joel Rotonas, Amos Mosner, Sebastiano Arman, and Simone Gunnan. Out to avenge the uh, Italian soccer team. Yeah, they're going to go redeem the country. For the Netherlands, we have Butcher Goskin, Jap van Dorp, Lorenz Hookman, and Carlo Glasbergen. The only men's team out of Netherlands. Right, but they've been there a couple of times, so yeah. I don't see them winning, but they'll they'll win a few games. Yep. They'll they'll be a middle of the pack, I think, maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. We say that and we're always super wrong. Team Norway, again, team we've seen before with Stefan Wallstad, Torger Norgard, Marcus Holberg, and Magnus Vagberg. You know what I'm gonna say. I've said it every time Norway comes up and I'm sure they hate it, but such boring pants. Such boring pants. Um, and then in Scotland, so same with the Worlds, uh, with the Women's Worlds, they're sending a different team because Bruce Mouet couldn't compete in their national playdowns because he was busy winning medals at the Olympics. Uh, so we have this new team, Ross Patterson, Kyle Waddle, Duncan Menzies, and Craig Waddle. I've seen, I've heard of this team before. Like, I think I've seen them at the occasional Grand Slam. They're not pushovers at all, so... Um... And it's top six, right, that make the playoffs. So, like, I'm going to put them in. I don't know them very well, but I'll put them in the top six. And I just hope they don't catch COVID. <laughs> then in South Korea, we have Skip Kim Chang-min, Kim Soo-yuk, Seong Seo-hyun, and Kim Hak-kyun. I think I got those syllables right. I don't really know much about them. No, South Korea is one of that team, or even Japan as well. Like, the women's have... It's taken off more on the women's yeah, side. Yeah, the men's have uh, lagged a little bit. Then we have some obscure Swedish team that we've never heard of. Yeah, this guy called Nicholas Edin, uh, <laughs> Oscar Eriksson, Rasmus Rana, and Christopher Sundgren. Nicholas is one guy that I'm waiting for to retire. He's not that old. Like, he's no Glenn Howard, but he has been plagued with quite a few back injuries. Yeah, and he's, he's 36. I just clicked on his name. He's 36, but he has the body of a Glenn Howard. Just Whoa. Because he's had so many injuries, okay, guys? Okay. So I, I'm curious to see if he'll, he's going to commit to another four-year cycle. I agree with you. However, I think with Sweden paying the bills, um, if they're paying for his surgery and for him to go all around the world curling, then I think he signs up. Yeah, I guess he'll keep playing until Sweden's like, actually, we're going to invest in another another player. I can see Oscar maybe picking up the team and uh, finding a new player. Yeah, I mean, they're so good. Let's just, yeah. there's no way around it. They're really good. If we were ever paid to play curling 100% of the time, we'd be as good as them. Okay, let's not lie. I, I, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something to respond to that. <laughs> Once again, Kelly has this great look on her face that you. I wish people could see. We need to start uh, filming these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last couple teams that will be participating, we have a new team out of Switzerland. Well, not a new team, but not the normal team we typically see. So we have Yannick Schwaller, Michael Bruner, Romano Meyer, and Marcel Kaufler. Hey, they're friends of the podcast, right? They follow us. Um, and then we're wrapping this up with the United States, uh, skipped by Corey Jopkin, Joe Polo, Mark Fenner and Tom Howell. Not John Schuster, but Corey Dropkin is uh, has been playing John Schuster really tight in the United States lately. So interesting to see him get through. Um, that was another quick comment on the women's worlds, by the way. Uh, Corey Christensen, if I got the name right, uh, I don't believe has been to the women's worlds before. Again, the door's more open in other countries than it usually is. And she played very well. Uh, she made it quite far. And so... I expect the same thing out of the U.S. men's. They're almost as good as John Schuster. Yeah, I think the men's, I think 
it's going to be pretty clear cut who the top teams are going to be. Yep. <laughs> Just for yourself. Um, but I think it's pretty obvious. And I think, I think the battle is really going to happen for those last playoff spots. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting because um, one thing that I do like about the worlds, which is kind of why I wish it had the more traditional briar approach is that we don't follow one team in particular and we just follow the whole tournament is that it's still a full round robin and because there's six playoff teams there's probably going to be some interesting races for the playoffs there's no tiebreakers there's no shootout or the shootout is going to be a factor which i hate i hate as well i know i wish there were tiebreakers but with six playoff teams i find it's a little bit easier to digest and um it'll be interesting to see like there should be some playoff races it'll be interesting to see um Rob will be watching this very attentively throughout the week. I unfortunately will not. Kelly is on assignment. I'm going to be sipping wine on the Mediterranean coast in hot weather. I thought you were going to Moose Jaw. (laughs) Oh God, I hope I get on the right plane. (laughs) Yeah, so actually we have to clarify that because that's the the breakup that we alluded to at the uh, beginning of the episode. So we're not breaking up, but we are going to go on a hiatus because... Kelly is not going to Moose Jaw, sadly. Uh, she's going to have to tough it out in the Mediterranean instead. Yeah, so unfortunately with the time zone difference, it'll make it'll be very difficult for us to record. So we are taking a couple weeks hiatus, but we will be back at the end of April to like wrap up the end of the season. Yeah, because there will be, at this rate anyway, there'll be a lot of developments uh, between now and then. C- certainly more team breakups. And the way things are going, they'll be curling in May when you're back. So, <laughs> so um, we'll we'll be back uh, in a month to wrap up everything that we've missed. Kelly will be uh, actively documenting all the curling that she sees in the south of France, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, which is going to amount to zero. Hey, who knows? Maybe I'll start my own little curling team out in France. <laughs> right. Except you have to come back. Yeah. So, um, well, safe travels, Kelly. Uh, and... Yeah, join us in a month from now. Yep, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Closing thoughts. See ya.